Jeff, you had a one-on-one VIP breakfast this morning. How was it? It was a lot of fun. I went to breakfast this morning with Isaac Wood. He is the athletic, I think he's, what is his official title? I think he's the athletic, athletic de- development coordinator or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And so he works with the Cougar Club right now, but he works for the athletic department. And essentially what he is over right now is kind of the, really a lot of the Cougar Club, a lot of the, uh, the fundraising, a lot of the initiatives that they're working on, a lot of the uh, like the marketing and the growth and, and, and all of that stuff. He's over a lot of those types of things. And we've been pretty critical, Garrett, you and I, about the Cougar Club and some of the things that they have done, some of the things that they haven't done. And I met with Isaac for about a little more than an hour, maybe an hour and a half this morning. Where did you and go? All, we went to Neaters. I mean, I'm not a huge Neaters guy. But uh, it was fine. I mean, I feel like that's. Did you go to the? Were you down in Provo, or did he meet you halfway? No, he he's from Bountiful, so uh, we just went to the one right there in Woods Cross, which worked out well for me. It's perfect. I know that Woods Cross sounds like a million miles away for most of our Utah County listeners, but believe it or not, it's not that far away. The I did have. I mean, one time I went to Neaters for breakfast, and I saw Tom Holmo there eating breakfast with the Rice Athletic Director, which was a surprise to me. I think it's a BYU place. I know it's not. But I think it is. is. The, I mean, it's started by BYU people. The first one is in Utah County. It's like, is that true? I didn't know that. Yeah. So the very first Neaters, I believe, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, was the one on um, 2000 North in State Street in Orem, which is now, it's now a Sweet O Burrito. So is it, it just a Utah thing then, or is it everywhere? It has expanded outside of Utah. So actually, the first, two needers outside of Utah that were among their like original franchises. Once they started franchising or in Yuma, someone in my stake now bought them like 10 years ago. Um, but they they've expanded now, but they needers is now owned by the, uh, I believe it's called the four food groups, which is the company that they, so they bought out needers and then they also own all of the Mobetas and r barbecue now. And it's like, that's their thing is find a local place. That's got like, four or five locations. They've got like their procedures down and stuff to like, you know, find good locations. It's profitable, whatever. And then they come in with a bunch of money and dump gasoline on the fire and go gangbusters with expansion and ruin it. Like R&R barbecue has been ruined. So thank you to them. Yeah. Neaters was fine, but that's not the point. This isn't about Neaters today, which I, I had no idea that was a BYU thing. So I'm actually quite happy that we talked about Neaters. I wasn't you expecting that. can actually, I don't, know how far you are from this woods cross needers but if you go since they're not open on sundays if you go to needers at like eight o'clock on saturday night they mark down all of the desserts and everything is like 75 percent off because they I got think i knew that so it, yeah that's it's cool that's a, a life pro tip to our avid listeners who may be near a needers location yeah that's this is good this is why people tune in so my breakfast with isaac we sat down for an hour hour and a half and we talked about byu sports about the BYU Cougar Club, about the direction of the Cougar Club. And do you want to know, Garrett, you and I were talking before the show. Do you want to know what was so great about the conversation? It was like I was just talking to you. I was talking to a BYU fan. I wasn't talking to some administrator within the BYU department that was being guarded in what they said or that was going out of their way to you know, portray that BYU is infallible and everything that they've done. I was talking to a BYU fan who was pumped 
about the good things, who admitted that there were things that needed to be worked on, and who was willing to have a very open and transparent conversation with me about the direction that the Cougar Club should go, who was who was trying really hard to get as many ideas from me as they could, not because my ideas are special, but because they're open to listening right now to everybody. And I think that's a, a very, very big step forward from where the Cougar Club has been historically. So that was that was really encouraging. But let me just let, let's take this a little bit further. I'm a nobody, right? Like, sure, we've run 24-7. We've got a pretty, you know, relatively good-sized reach there. I have a Twitter platform. We run this podcast. Like, I, I have the ability. I'm certainly not Greg Rebell, but we have the ability to reach out to a lot of BYU fans. And that's that's great. And so maybe that plays a role in why he's reaching out to me. But I don't think so. I think he's reaching out to me because I'm just a BYU fan. And he wants to talk to as many BYU fans as he possibly can. I do not donate enough money to BYU that I would matter in any way, shape, or form. I did not attend the school. Like, I have no real connection other than I'm a football fan. And he went out of his way to seek me out to talk about my ideas and how we could make the Cougar Club better together. And that was the other thing that, that felt really cool at the end of the conversation is it was not me spitting out a whole bunch of ideas and he's going to go take them and decide what he wants to do. No, it was like this collaborative effort that it felt like I was really working with him. So my big takeaway at the end of this is the Cougar club is going to change. Uh, he talked about a lot of things, some things that have rolled out already, some things that haven't yet. Uh, I'm not going to take away the thunder from the Cougar Club. I don't know how they want to release these things. So we're not going get, to get, get into any of the details on this show. But I can say that the transparency, the, the, the complaints that we've heard, that you know we've heard, that we've had ourselves, that we've heard from our listeners, they're, they're shared. There's a lot of that. Like that is well known now within the administration of the Cougar Club, and they are working towards addressing almost everything down to the the myth the BYU myth that if you donate a thousand dollars to the program then it goes to the general athletic fund and is distributed across all of the athletic departments evenly That's or a myth. also there were some myths about potential locker room renovations that came up as well and he did they did squish squash a couple things related to that and saying that we BYU is hard to work with they want to work with people and want yeah, we do need to talk about that without because I don't even remember who the guy was. Um, but it sounds like I mean, there was a big rush of, hey, somebody said that they're going to do the locker room for free. And here we are several months later, and the locker room has not been done. Um, BYU's taken some lumps because of that from athletes and people within BYU and from fans and people outside of BYU. Um, I don't want to go, we're not going to throw anybody under the bus, but long story short, there was a lot more detail that needed to be discovered. BYU was pumped about the, the, the idea that somebody was willing to donate time and like, resources. Like people from the athletic department got on the phone with that person the same day to be like, okay, let's make this happen. Like, yeah, like don't know who you morning. talked to before, but that shouldn't, this shouldn't happen etc cetera, etc cetera, everything you would expect them to do and, and long story short it didn't happen but let me just say this it wasn't because byu said no 
Was it because BYU wasn't willing to pay any additional money or to pay this man for their time? And it wasn't because BYU didn't do anything, right? Like they tried. So I feel like that's enough context that, that, that anybody really needs to know. But look, Garrett, BYU is going to change. The Cougar Club is listening. And that is maybe the biggest thing that, that I took away is that they are listening and they want to hear your ideas. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, they may not uh, take every idea because, you know, contrary to my belief, I do have ideas that are bad. I mean, I know I think I'm right all the time, but I have been wrong. It, it's only happened a few times, but I have been wrong before. So they're not going to implement every idea, but they want to hear every idea. And when I talk about this collaborative effort, Isaac, we went on, we did a quick video that's on the BYU Cougar Club Twitter. You can tag that Cougar Club account, let Isaac know your, your, uh, you know, your ideas, your questions, your whatever. You can tag me. You can tag Give Them Hell Pod. You can go to the Cougar Sports Insider message board and share an idea there. I am going to continue to work with Isaac. You I am as well. To yes. to I've got time Isaac. scheduled with him to discuss some of these things as well. And we are going to continue to work together. Like I say, that collaborative effort to build the best fan club that BYU can possibly build. And I think that is an important distinction. This isn't some sort of a, a booster club for only the elites of the elite. This truly is a fan club that is now being run by fans for fans. Like that's a gimmicky cliche, but that's what's happening Follow the Cougar Club. It's disappointing that there are only 661 followers uh, at the Cougar Club's official Twitter account at Cougar Club underscore BYU. Follow that account, share your ideas, and they will be reaching out to you. One thing that's happening tomorrow that hasn't been marketed a ton, you know the BYU sale every year? Oh, yes. You can get a lot of good stuff there. I've purchased a lot of good many stuff. things. That you have to be at the IPF, usually the indoor practice facility, and they have all of the old team gear, like last year's stuff that's there. Yep. That that's on that's online this year. Oh, that is exclusive to Cougar Club members. Yeah, that's the kind of things that we've talked about, especially creating value for out of state. So I know you talked about a lot of different things with him, and you know I've talked off the air with this, but the my conversation with Isaac, and if you are an out of state listener, which more than half of our listeners are. Um, if you're an out-of-state listener, then reach out to us if you have any ideas and we can get things going, but it's I'm going to be talking with him specifically about how can we give value to people who don't live within driving distance or have the money to fly in every week to be a season ticket holder. And it's, I think BYU has done really well historically with corporate sponsorships and getting corporate donations and kind of more of that, I would say kind of like the old money feel. Mm -hmm. Isaac That's is the, very, the new money, the young money, like recognizing, yes, obviously there are a lot of big businesses and large donors that give huge paychecks or give huge checks to BYU, which pays everybody's paychecks. But there are also a lot of BYU fans and you could get a lot of money if you know, get people in the door paying a hundred bucks a year right after they graduate. And then over the course of their career, they turn into, you know, eventually a thousand dollars a year, whatever. And there exactly. are, you know, there are thousands of BYU fans who could afford that and would be willing to do, you know, a 
somewhere, but like a $500 annual donation, but they yep. just need some incentive to do it. And they're working on that. And it is good that Isaac is the fans perspective. And they are trying to see like, what do the random fans want? Because there's the people that you're missing out on. And that's the money left on the table. Yep. The fans, the random fans, the rich fans, the pre-rich fans, you're spot on about out-of-state fans and finding that value proposition for those guys. That was the first thing he he brought up when we sat down was how do we make it more worthwhile for an out-of-state fan? That's what they're working on. Now, I want to be clear. They did not pay us. This is not give them hell, Brigham brought to you by the Cougar Club. This is not, you know, we didn't get a paycheck. This isn't an ad type of a deal. This is nothing like that. This is, I went to breakfast with a guy. And if it would have been a bad breakfast, if they would have told me all of the reasons that my ideas were bad or all of the reasons why they're not doing things that fans think they should be doing and would have just gone, you know, ultra defensive about the status quo, I would have got onto this show today and I would have told everybody about, hey, you know what? We got to find better ways to donate to BYU because the Cougar Club ain't it. But I could not be more impressed with the conversation that I had. I'm pumped about the Cougar Club, the future. If you're not a donor, if you were a donor, I know that there have been a lot of past donors that have stopped donating because they felt like they weren't getting anything. They felt like they couldn't trust the Cougar Club. You can donate again. I trust it's going to the right cause. Um, And if you have not ever been a donor and you're thinking about it, donate five bucks a month. We can all help BYU work together. That's my spiel. I thought it was awesome. And I'm excited for you to have your your appointment with him and talk through some more details on stuff. Uh, I'm really excited about it. And you shared with me off air a couple of concrete details and of things that they have in the works that should be coming out very soon. And we don't want to steal their thunder and, you know, take away from that, but I can vouch for this is a genuine effort and a very different change and things are headed in the right direction to try to, I guess, make a big tent of the Cougar club and find a place for everybody to give what they can and get some value out of it, whatever their financial circumstances may be. Also, one last thing about this before we move on from the Cougar Club. Isaac has invited us. So, Garrett, you've got to find your way back to Utah. Up in the, the offices uh, that the Cougar Club is in, so in the renovated third floor of the athletic building, which was paid for by the school, not by donors, not by athletic funds, which was approved like a million years ago. So everybody needs to take a deep breath about that. They have built a neon Brigham Young-like picture that is up on the wall. Okay. We're give them hell, Brigham. We at least need a picture. We've been invited to take a picture, but we've also, I think we could maybe wiggle our way into doing a live recording of the give them hell, Brigham podcast in front of this neon Brigham. I'm going to retweet the tweet right now um, from Isaac at that Cougar club underscore BYU account. He did a video yesterday in front of the neon Brigham Young. I feel like you've got to prioritize it in your budget, your personal budget, your personal time, your personal whatever you do to let's get to Provo, you and I, so that Give Him Hell Brigham can go to that that Brigham. We need to do that. And I know you and I also talked about this this morning about potentially doing a live show tomorrow, but we there's just not enough time to put this together. But 
we were considering, and maybe if there's enough response, we can do this short notice of doing a live stream of you and I debating BYU-related topics to spare our listeners from watching the final presidential debate. Because be honest, it's not going to change anybody's mind. Let's give you something more entertaining. So if you want that, let us know. And if there's enough interest, we can get it out. We should have planned it a month ago. We should have. But if not now, season four of Give Him Hell Brigham will include some debates of such nature. But yes, very hyped on the Cougar Club. But we also want to share sort of our hellion of the week. Um, we did have a nomination uh, by Brett Barlow. Uh, he nominated my wife again. So unlike the happy news of uh, having a child born back in July when she was the when pork chop was born and she was the hellion of the week. Uh, my wife was in the car with our two kids and my mother-in-law and got T-boned on Saturday, had like the car flipped over on the side. It's very scary, but she, Brett nominated her for keeping it together and being the strong one who has been emotionally stable as I have been freaking out for the last like week and a half, almost a week now of what's going to happen and how this is going to work out, blah, blah, blah. But have you sued anybody yet? No, like, first. I did. I'm really happy that Allie is okay. I don't mean to just brush over that like you didn't talk about that. Very happy she's okay. Yes. But I know that you're not real thrilled that she was T-boned. So no. what are you going to do about this? Um, I do have an attorney. And Great. it is a uh, one Eric Robinson, who is a big BYU fan on the Twitter.coms as well, Great. who is, Great. is a great attorney. And he will be helping us. Uh, and we will be working... I don't know. The insurance companies will be figuring that out because at some point we will need to buy a new car. And I don't know for how soon we're going to do it because we're working from home right now. Don't really need two cars because don't have any kids in school and I'm working from home. So we can make it work. Um, and we live five minutes from her parents. So it's, we can make it work without a car, without two cars right now. So we do have some downtime, but Yes, that was our one nomination, but I want to nominate the BYU football team. And this was sent to me. I don't know how someone found it, but it was on um, the a Houston message board. And one Dal Coog fan said, I work with Clayton Toon's dad. I reached out to discuss the BYU game with him. He made a point to share that Clayton indicated that the BYU team was the nicest, classiest team he has ever played against going back to Pee Wee. Clayton said that they were complimentary of his and the team's effort all night and especially on the crafty third down quarterback sneak conversion. A BYU D lineman was joking, saying what a great play that was as he was on one knee chatting with his teammate and boom, the ball was snapped and we got a first down. Wilson, Zach Wilson also sought Clayton out after the game to make a point to say that he played awesome. Just unheard of in this day and time. Congrats to the BYU Cougs on exemplary sportsmanship. All the best of them the rest of the way. That's cool. I, my biggest takeaway, cause I, I know what you want to talk about and that's great. We will. My biggest thing that I'm, I was concerned about as you read this is this line right here. A BYU D lineman was joking saying what a great play that was as he was on one knee chatting with his teammate and boom, the ball happened or the ball was snapped and first down. When I read that, I hear we're just hanging out on the you know, like talking to each other and not at all prepared for the ball to be snapped tell me i'm missing something i think that's what i'm reading 
I think probably what happened is like the whatever the play before was, like someone was saying it was a great play because in that thing that was the conversion was when it looked like he was audibling and walking up to the line yeah, and quick yeah, yeah. under center. And so you'll see guys, they'll be in their stance. And if the quarterback is noticeably audibling, the defensive line, they'll get down on a knee. So they're not like burning energy, crouched up like all 10. Right. And right. so I imagine it, that's what they caught him off guard is they dropped down. So I think this is probably conflating like, two merging two different moments of what happened of like i hope so the good play happened and then the audible and he was like down on one knee because they thought the audible was humming and expected him to reset and then got caught off guard right well that reads really poorly for our our friends on the defensive line but but maybe they did and maybe if maybe we can send this along to the coaching staff if you hear (laughs) this and chew somebody out yeah can you guys check the film because this seems concerning uh, but no, that's cool. That, I mean, this is exactly what Kalani Sataki wants, right? Like he wants a team that is going to absolutely pile drive somebody into the ground and then the whistle's going to blow and then they're going to pick them up. They're going to, you know, tell them good play, good job. And that's what they want BYU to be known as is a super physical team that is also super nice, not punching anybody in the nuts, Louis Lapuaho, although I loved it because it was Boise and they probably deserved a good punch in the nuts. Um, but this is what BYU is looking for. This is what Kalani's looking for. This is the program that he wants. And what this tells me, you know, we're, we don't talk surface level here at Give Them Hell, Brigham. We dig into the nuts and bolts of just about everything. And when I hear this, it signifies to me that Kalani finally has true buy-in from his players. Yes. In every aspect of this program. Look, yep. the team's 5-0. and oh, They are coming back. They're winning in different ways. They had to come back against Houston. They're blowing teams out. Like, they're, they're doing a variety of different things. I think this team's bought in. I really think they are. And, yeah, the cynics are going to say that, well, how come it took five years for the team to buy in? Look, it takes time, you know, and, and that's one of the big problems in the college football world, in my mind, is that, Coaches aren't given enough time to right the ship. Dabo wasn't a dynasty his first few years at Clemson. And now look at what he is. Almost a decade, right? Like they went, you know, he got hired in 2008 in the middle of the season. And I think they went to their first, you know, New Year's six game under him is like 2014, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it took a while and he had a different vision for that program than just purely X's and O's football. And it takes time to get the players who are going to buy into that vision. But once they do, you could do some really, really good things. Is BYU going to be Clemson? No. No, they're not. But that's the same kind of attitude. Garrett's shaking his head like, yes, they are. They Let's will be. Let's go for it. They, if Syracuse <laughs> can knock them off, so can we. Well, you know who can't knock them off is Georgia Tech. That is Definitely true because seventy three to seven is painful. To seven, um, dude. Have you look? Have you seen the depth chart this week? I have seen the depth chart, and I have some thoughts about it. I think the biggest thing that everyone will probably notice is the there is not a single starter listed on the offensive line. Yeah, and as a one. and as a former offensive lineman, you don't I, look like an offensive lineman. I played bigger than I am right now in high school, but the as a former offensive lineman. I have some thoughts on this. I'm ready. So I, I I don't have thought Well, I do have thoughts, but I can't speak as a former offensive lineman, though. I do look like I could play offensive line today. The, 
offensive lineman on the depth chart, there was not a single starter listed. It was just or at every position. So it was like guard, tackle, it was like left tackle. It's like, or I remember it was like right tackle is like break Blake Freeland or Harris Lachance or Keanu Saliaponga. Like guard is like Tristan Hodge or whatever, or this, even at center, James Empey or Joe Tukawafu across the board, just everything was listed as an or. So part of that, I think is there's guys banged up. We're heading into Texas state. You know, you're going to shuffle things around. You're not going to have a clear cut starter, whatever. But the bigger part of it is I think it is very good is I think it is Eric Mateos sending a message to his position group that what you did a month ago doesn't mean Jack. Now, if you're not playing well, then you're not going to get named the starter. And yes, they have been guys that have played really well. There have been guys that really struggled, but the last two weeks, BYU has struggled running the ball against teams. They should be able to run it. And I think, I mean, we talked about it on our post-game show about how there were the couple, um, there were the couple plays where we tried in like third and one, fourth and one to just line up in a jumbo I've set and pound it down their throats. And you can say, you know, and Andre Ware said on the game, and I thought so too on the post game that, you know, we had too many, like it let Houston jam up the box and they loaded it with people and we didn't do well and it wasn't a good thing. But I think the staff, you know, say what you want to say about the play calling aside is saying to their offensive line, we expect to get one yard. And if you are an offensive lineman on our team and it doesn't matter if there's 50 guys in the box, when it is third and one or fourth and one, and we call the jumbo package going right up the middle that means we are putting this play on you no matter what to push somebody a foot and a half so that way the running back can put their head down and push forward for another foot and a half to get that one yard and get us a new set of downs. And they offering the offensive line we saw over and over again, they did not do it. And we did not run the ball well the entire game on Friday night. And we got demolished in those short yardage situations every single time other one other than the touchdown when Lopini Katoa bounced it outside and went off tackle for a touchdown. So I think this is a big challenge to the offensive line to say like, dude, we don't care that there was 10 guys in the box, man on man, you should get someone moving backwards. And if you are going to say, Oh, look, PFF rated us. We're like the number two offensive line in the country. And we're returning 120 starts and we are this group and we've got all this NFL talent, then act like it and play like it because going like one for six on third and fourth down conversions with one yard to go when it's put directly on you just isn't good enough. And I think that's what the message the staff is trying to send with this week's step chart. Yeah. I like it. It really is an attitude of, Hey, they've been good. Like nobody's going to say that they've been bad, even with the third and fourth and one mishaps, the overall performance of that line has been good. Uh, what I like about this is that that is not good enough. That's not what Grimes and Mateos expect. They expect better than that. Um, I mean, looking at who's going to actually be on the field, let's assume health because, you know, obviously James Empey might sit out. Uh, Grimes said he wouldn't. Grimes said he'd be good to go, but Grimes has never been exactly forthcoming about injuries. Right. So I don't know how much we can actually read into that. Is it even? reading into it if he says it outright i just don't know how much you can believe it straight up because he he you know he plays his cards close to the vest that way but let's assume health you're going to see tristan hodge play if he's healthy he's playing brady christensen will play like those two even on the run blocking uh, from a run blocking standpoint those two are 
the two best run blockers on the team, bar none. Brady Christensen's elite in just about every aspect of the game. And I, I really wish that he got more credit. Uh, I wrote an article earlier this week about the unsung heroes of BYU's 5-0 and start. And it feels like Brady Christensen is an unsung hero at this point. Like he has not got the love that he deserves. I mean, he has been absolutely sensational. Uh, so those two would start for sure. My next bet would be Blake Freeland. I think that Blake Freeland has struggled in pass pro compared to some of the other offensive linemen. But when it comes to run blocking, I think that Blake Freeland is probably one of the two or three best and certainly two or three best tackles, but best overall offensive lineman on the team as a run blocker. I, I think that given what we know about, about Jeff Grimes, he wants to run the ball. Uh, look, Zach can throw it for 400 yards. Oh, uh, I tried to mute, but I couldn't. So everybody got a sneeze and I'm real sorry about it. Uh, <laughs> Blake Freeland uh, okay Grimes wants to run the ball and um, Zach could throw it for 400 yards a game and that's great but if, if BYU is only running the ball for 100 125 yards a game like they did against Houston Grimes is not going to be happy so he's gonna I, I think he would err on the side of let's get our run blockers in the game and so I think that's going to be Black, Blake Freeland um and then from there, it gets wide open. Like James Empey is the best center. It's not close. Uh, I, I know I said we're assuming health, but I don't know if he's healthy. I don't know if he's going to play. So if he doesn't play, I don't know that it's going to be Joe Tukwafu taking those center reps. I know he's the backup, but I think that they might be looking at a scenario where Connor Pay has no experience, has never played at the D1 level, but he's going to be a more aggressive run blocker than Joe Tukawafu. So they're going to roll with that. I, I think that that's a scenario that we could see play out. And from what I know about Connor pay as an offensive lineman at Lone Peak, that's what he is. The dude's a mauler. Like he's just a right. big dude and he could absolutely do that. So it's really fascinating for me. I agree with you hundred percent that this is a message to the team that, Hey, good is not good enough. You are better than good. And that's awesome. But I think bigger picture, um, they're going to find their best run blockers. And that's who we're going to see line up as the starting offensive line next week. I'm anxious to see where Mo Unatoa fits into that mix. Uh, Mo is a little light, but he's pretty aggressive. He's pretty quick. He has really good form, really good fundamentals out of the tackle spot. I I'm anxious to see if he does push Blake Freeland for time at the right tackle position, because I think he could be, he would give BYU a different weapon as a run blocker than what they currently have among the, the five offensive linemen who we usually play. I think he would struggle a little bit in the, in, in pass pro, but against Texas state, uh, I don't, I, I hope that BYU wouldn't need to have, yeah, wouldn't need to have this elite wall to protect Zach. So I w I'm anxious to see if Mo gets a shot. Um, everybody, if you don't know the story of Mo, he transferred from Utah. He is the son of Morris Unitoa, who played at BYU in the 90s. Uh, he signed with Utah, uh, transferred a couple of years ago after really just not fitting in. His little brother, Elijah, signed with BYU. 
and and he he was a BYU guy from the beginning, but it was coming off of that awful 2017 season. So Mo decided to go to Utah. Still and, feeling, still feeling that one. Yeah, and so you know, a year or two into Utah, he he just said, "Hey, look, this isn't for me." It wasn't because of performance. It wasn't because Utah treated him poorly. It was just, "Hey, I I want to go to BYU." So he went to BYU, and he hasn't really played. He had to sit out because of transfer rules. Um, but he, he's been eligible for the last year, just hasn't played. And so I think that we're, we might see him get a shot uh, this week against Texas State, Texas State or next week against Western Kentucky. I'm kind of anxious to see that. Yeah, I've, it'll be good to see, and I wonder – you know, kind of what that looks like for him, but he definitely has the talent and um, he definitely has the talent. And when he gets the opportunity, I think he will make the most of it. Um, but the, in terms of the rest of the depth chart though, there were no really other surprises other than the offensive line. Everything stayed pat where it was. And we, we did get a question about the depth chart this week. Um, let me pull it up. And it was about specifically the running back depth. The, what is the oh. art, the running back depth chart? It looks like Tyler Algier and Lopini Katoa. That's still right. your depth and chart. Sione Fina is going to be RB3 now that he's healthy and maybe he steals some carries or he gets some more run, but really that's it. It's, I mean, Bruce Garrett is gone, obviously. Jackson McChesney and Hinkley Rapati are both hurt. Behind Finau is where you're going to start getting into Miles Davis and some other, you know, you're getting into moving people like Kavika Fanua moving back and getting offensive carries. That's you're really scraping the barrel there. Uh, but I, right now the plan is other than a couple getting fee now, a couple touches a game, things aren't going to change very much for the rest of the season. Yeah, I agree. And maybe this week uh, just to give those guys a little bit of a breather, maybe Sione gets, well, I don't think it's going to be that Sione starts the game or anything like that, but I could see a scenario where instead of waiting until midway through the third quarter, when BYU's up 30, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm letting you guys see where I think this game is going to go on Saturday. Instead of waiting until the third quarter, when BYU is up 30 to pull Algier and just, you know, take his helmet and say, Hey, get rested up. They may do that in the second quarter when BYU is up 20 and let Finau get a little bit more run just to heal up. But if this game is even moderately close, you know, if, if it's a two score game, uh, it's going to be Tyler Algier. It's going to be Lopini Katoa. And that's the way that it should be. Those two have been lights out. Uh, Lopini, Lopini, I still, man, I feel like I'm the Lopini fan club leader. He doesn't get the credit that he deserves because he doesn't break the big runs like Algier does. Lopini Katoa is an elite pass blocker. Yeah. He has, there, there is no understating how much of a role he has played in Zach's success as a quarterback when he's in, in pass protection, he is phenomenal. And I love that about him. It's the best trait of his game. You know, he's got great vision, really good with the ball in his hand. He's not the most powerful runner or the fastest guy, but he's good in, in those areas. And, and he's really good in the screen game and all that stuff, but that dude can pass block. And that helps BYU's offense that wants to push the ball down the field. That's the difference between having to hurry and check down and hit Neil Powell for the three yard, you know, safety valve route or having that extra half second 
when the blitz is coming to find Dax Milne in one-on-one coverage. The difference is Lopini Katoa in pass protection. He has been sensational in that arena. He deserves far more credit as a pass blocker than what he is getting. In yeah. fact, if you look at uh, at uh, PFF, the pass pro grades are hard for running backs because the their assignments are so different. Yeah, they don't have the volume to go off of. But he does really well. He is the highest rated non-offensive lineman. I take that back. Carter Wheat, Isaac Rex, the two tight ends are, are rated ahead of him. But Lopini Katoa is, is really good. He's a very, very good um, pass protector. And that needs to be celebrated, I think, more than it is. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there are some offensive linemen. So to answer the rest of question, yeah, the running back depth chart is not going to change. Yeah, so it's the depth chart's not going to change. Um, I do think some other changes we will start to see. Um, George Udo has earned more playing time, and he's going to continue to do that. Um, and the defense, especially on the back end of the defense, Kavika Fanua and Zane Anderson have struggled the most out of anybody on really on the entire defensive side of the ball. And George Udo stepped up and took some reps away from Fanua and on Friday night. And I think both of them are, I think he's going to continue to be rewarded with more playing time as well as, you know, and there's going to be some other, you know, push for playing time at both at all of the defensive back positions, especially as things try to get short up, um, which turning over to the defense, the defensive play calling on Friday night. I know there's been a lot of talk about this. There were questions in the post game. If the, you know, when Kalani said we went to more of a man look instead of zone and we said, Hey, let's go run with them. And we, you know, there's been, rumors flying that Kalani took over the defensive play calling based solely on the fact that at one point ESPN pointed the camera at the sideline and it showed him signaling the play, which if that's the case, then apparently the BYU backup quarterbacks are calling all of the plays into the offense and the coaches aren't doing anything, which I'm not saying it, it doesn't mean anything, but it's like that alone is not a justification of, oh, this is definitely happening. Can, can I refuse to talk about this? This is the most over-discussed non-issue that is just rampant among BYU fans. And I, I can't wrap my head around it. Do, do BYU fans, honestly, like I have this question. I'm asking you, you represent BYU fans. Do BYU fans really believe that when Nick Howell was the defensive coordinator, that Bronco let him do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And then after that infamous game in Boise, he suddenly took the clipboard away from Howell and said, I will take the play calling. Like, do they, do you really think that's how that worked? I think a lot of fans think that whoever's the designated play caller is like, that's it. They decide everything. That's what they do when it really like, it is a collaborative effort. Like that's why you have a, on offense, you have a pass game coordinator, you have a run game coordinator. And even they may say like, okay, we're going to run the ball here. Run game coordinator. What do you think? Oh, I think this could be set up or this could be set up. Okay. You know what? I was thinking you said a and B I was thinking B. Okay. Let's go with B send it in. Like it's, that's more of how play calling goes and it's not a one person thing, right? Like it's, and if Kalani wants something called, I don't care who's the play caller. It gets called. 
Right. Like if it's, he hears a call, go into the headset. It, it, look, guys, it, I mean, if Kalani wasn't involved, then he wouldn't have a headset. Right. He would take it off and he would not re- wear it. He would just totally let his assistants do everything. Didn't Lavelle do that? Wasn't he anti-headset? Yeah, he most of the time on the sideline, he didn't have a headset. But it's Kalani yeah. has a headset. He's hearing everything. He's, he's been involved he's forever. Saying, hey, I want, you know, Kalani may have said, hey, I want to get more pressure. Like the zone isn't working. Start running more man and do this and like steer the ship a little bit. And like, he, he could see he could see something totally different. Like Elisa Tuiaki is up in the booth for crying out loud. And he's up there and he sees one thing. Well, Kalani might see, hey, look, the right guard is struggling. I can see him. He's favoring one leg a little bit. Let's go after that gap. And that will be what happens. Like this idea that there's only one play caller is just absurd. And I don't know why as a fan base last year, it was Jeff Grimes and versus a rod versus who's calling the plays. Who cares if the plays are working? It doesn't matter. Like I promise you guys that cliff Kingsbury, who has an offensive coordinator at the Arizona Cardinals. If he wants a play called on offense, he calls it. It may, he makes sure that it gets done because that's what he does. If Kyle Whittingham wants a play call call i don't care how much he trusts morgan scally if he wants something called he calls it bronco does the same thing nick saban does the same thing andy reed does the same thing every coach does the same thing and i just think that we are so enamored with this notion that well kalani must take over the play that's so dumb like if he wanted he he's not just sitting back uh, last year and saying, wow, I'm, you know, the defense is getting killed. I'm okay with this. Like he's not doing that. He's not waiting four games to say, Hey, Elisa, I think I'm going to take play calling away from you now. Like, that's not how this works. He gets fired up. He's pissed off the same way fans are when the play calling doesn't work. But the reason he can't make an immediate change from drive to drive is because he's also involved in the play calling that wasn't working. Like that is how this goes. And I think it's funny though, that it's like, anytime it's good, like defense plays well, it's like, oh, Kalani definitely took it over from me. I said, it's like, same thing with the offense. It's like some people are so hell bent on making their, like their MO be hating whoever's the play caller that it's like, oh, things are going bad. It's obviously Jeff Grimes. Oh, it's going well. A-Rod must have been given more input or it's, oh, this is Fessy Satake started getting more input on what passing routes are were. Like, it's asinine. And I, 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 I don't know, right? I feel like I watch probably more football uh, because I'll watch each game a thousand times. I'll try to break it down. I'll talk to coaches. I think I watch more football than the average fan. That's not, probably is more of a, uh, <laughs> a problem with how much I watch football and try to break things down. And I couldn't tell you the difference between an A-Rod play versus a Grimes play. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you the difference between uh, a route that was designed by Grimes or Fessy. I, I don't know. I don't know. Right. Because I don't know. And I promise you average fan who is listening, you don't know either. Here's one thing I do know. I haven't ranted yet. I haven't got on a tangent. I've ranted plenty, but I haven't got on a tangent. My wife just brought in a papadilla. Have you had one of these yet from Papa John's? No. It's a 
I don't know what to call it. Like a papadilla, I think Is it's it their not like a quesadilla. No, well, I mean, I think that's what they're going for, but it's like pizza crust. So it's almost like a calzone. Oh, but it's folded in half like a quesadilla. Yeah. So it's really just like a folded pizza kind of. But I got this buffalo chicken papadilla for Papa John's. I think Papa John's sucks, but this is delicious. It's like thin crust. It's crispy. The The sauce is phenomenal. They've this always is, had We're bringing back Quarantine Kitchen because we did have some requests for that. We're carving this out now before Dude, we get back into the good. defense. Okay, this uh, is really good. And there's six bucks. My... And it's like, oh, man, for $6? Everybody needs a papadilla. I don't think they have like regular pizza flavors. Like you're not going to get a pepperoni and sausage papadilla. I mean, I guess you could, but they have like weird stuff. Like the Buffalo chicken, I guess, isn't weird, but they have, I think they have like a cheeseburger one. So I don't know if I would do all of these. Oh, maybe they eat. I mean, they have meatball pepperoni, barbecue chicken, bacon, Philly cheesesteak. All I'm saying is that I would highly recommend, I would never recommend that anybody goes to Papa John's for anything, but I will recommend this Papadilla. Okay. Get the Papadilla, return and report, and I'm going to go get one tonight for dinner, and I will let you know if it is better than the KFC fries that you told me to go get. I'm really sorry, man, because I had those again, and they were great. It must be the location that I was at. They were not. Was it? You were at an A&W KFC, right? Yes. That's got to be what it is because the standalone KFC, I've gone to two different ones because I was concerned after you told me that they weren't good. And so I went to another standalone KFC and they were phenomenal. Okay. I'm going to go probably tomorrow now that we're talking about this. There is an A&W KFC. It's a, it's a reasonable distance away from my house, but for you, I'm going to do it. I'm going to drive you. there. I'm going to try the fries. We're going to figure this out. Thank you. That's true friendship. But something else that we have figured out, and you and I have definitively looked at this. We've gone back. We've watched the tape. And something that needs to be put to bed is the idea that BYU rushes three and drops eight on every play. And this oh. is my rant. And I talked about this in our postgame show, how going into the Houston game, because we tallied it up last week, that BYU averaged like 4.3 rushers per pass play. So even we were not bringing three, but, and people also said like, Oh, the defense, what changed was that the defense was suddenly like bringing all this pressure and putting heat on him. And that's what changed. And so obviously Clayton tuned, there was pressure on him in the second half and the pocket was collapsing quicker, but I went through and watched every play and tallied. Did we bring three guys? Did we bring four guys? Did we bring five plus and on the three and four, was it some type of like a twist or a stunt or um, like maybe three down linemen with a backer coming like something unexpected. And I didn't count if a backer just lined up as like a stand-up defensive end, like Isaiah Kafusi or Max Tooley's just standing up right off the tackle and rushing as soon as the ball's up. I counted him as an edge rusher or defensive end. Like I didn't count that as a blitz, but so in the first half, the straight total. So I pulled this from snap to tackle, which didn't have quite every single play, but a straight out of the 52 plays that were ran. The only time BYU did a straight three man rush six times the entire game. They did a variant with like a stunt or some like a stunt or twist with three man three times. So all of those were then in the first half. 
And also in the first half, we did a straight four-man rush 16 times, which that a, just a vanilla four-man rush has been by far the bulk of the defensive. Like that's where things have been coming from on the defense in the past game this season. And then they did a stunt once and brought five twice. So Thule on those four-man rushes. Um, Hold were, on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt people just to point out that you're a professional. You just sneezed. And you were able to get to the mute button, so we didn't have to taste your sneeze. I'm, I'm really trying sorry. not to spread COVID through your earphones. Yeah, I'm really sorry to everybody. I couldn't find the mute button. I just sneezed. I'm sorry um, about that. So on a handful of the four-man, we did have Max Tooley just staying in as a spy on Clayton Toon, which is fine. Uh, I didn't count that because he ate up a blocker. He didn't rush, but he ate up a blocker, and he was in the passing lane. So first half. 21% of the plays were a three-man rush. 61% of the plays were four-man rush. 7% were five-plus. <clears throat> there was a water. Good job. <clears throat> no, I didn't get it all. Um, the second <laughs> half, we didn't have a single play bringing three guys. So, yes, we did drop eight occasionally in the first half, but this notion that is what we do every single day is completely false. And it, I'll tell it, you who the biggest culprit is of making this a false thing is friggin' Andre Ware. He is talking about BYU on every play that they only stay only rush three and play eight when there's very visibly like four down linemen and two linebackers showing blitz. He'll still say BYU rushing three every play. He is the biggest instigator of perpetuating he's too this busy worshiping his icon of Zach Wilson that he's like his shrine built up in the press box. Dude, uh, I do have to say, I had multiple people DM me last week after the post game show that said, Hey, man, I also thought that Andre Ware was a wide receiver. So mm. I'm not the only one who had no clue that he was Dude, a quarterback. I can't like a player from Houston who played before you were born. Like we can't fault you for that. Uh, but third quarter moving into the second half where there's change. So the only drive in the third quarter was the 99 yard touchdown drive. And that sucked. on that drive, there were four man rush seven times. There was, a four-man twist once and we brought five plus guys three times we brought more pressure immediately out of the second half the game plan changed at halftime of trying to bring more pressure you know and instead of bringing you know it was about instead of like 20 percent, it went up to about a third of the plays and we got beat on a 99 yard drive but then in the fourth quarter we straight four eight times a twist of some sort with four, four times and only brought five guys once. So overall the drop eight thing needs to go to bed. Now the vanilla drop seven of just drop seven guys into a zone and only go a straight four man rush. Yes. That has merit to it, but not three and eight it's four and seven. And cause we only brought on like straight three with nothing on six of 52 plays. And I know there are a few more than that cause snap to tackle out a few cut off, but that's close enough. So we regularly bring four guys, and the second half, we mixed it up and we tried bringing five and got beat on it. So we toned it back down to bringing four, but bringing that four from a few different places. And so it seems like the key difference, other than just the secondary, when they switched to playing man, they were doing a better job covering and we're not leaving zones open. But 
it seems to be that that one third of the time, like one out of your three downs on any series is kind of that sweet spot for not exposing yourself too much, but also keeping the offensive line on their toes and getting some pressure on them. But even on the plays in the second half, we still just rushed straight for most of the time, but it was just in the fourth quarter, the defensive line was fired up and they were getting a better push on the offensive lineman. Strength and conditioning took over and they started collapsing the pocket. Most plays, we didn't do anything fancy. It was just playing better flat out. Yeah, I mean, point blank, that was what it was. You know, I, I spent some time, because we talked about Virginia last week, I spent some time um, on the 24-7 board for our Virginia site. And the dichotomy of our rants, like our fan base's rants <clears throat> about uh, BYU's infatuation with never rushing anybody and putting no pressure on the quarterback compared to what's going on in Virginia is fascinating. Over at Virginia... They are complaining about how Bronco and Howell will only rush six or seven. They are upset because Virginia is bringing so much pressure on every play that they're getting beat. And so it's just interesting to me that while we've got BYU fans who are just mad that there is no pressure, and clamoring for the days of a Bronco Mendenhall aggressive defense. You've got Bronco Mendenhall in Virginia, and their fans are mad that his aggressive defense is staying aggressive, even though they're getting beat. It's just it, interesting. The did you see the conversation that there was that David Fiso had yesterday with I don't know who it was. It was some with some BYU fan I'd never seen before on Twitter. But there was some BYU fan who legitimately said, and I'm not going to say their name, they legitimately said that they would rather watch Broncos defense bringing super aggressive and bringing all sorts of pressure and lose than watch Tuiaki's boring rush three, drop eight defense and win just because it's so boring and bland to have to watch that game. And they would enjoy watching a game where BYU loses as long as we blitzed every play. That dude, that dude needs to, to go to the, the Herm Edwards school of football. You play to win the game, right? We don't play to entertain. It's not a movie. If you want to be entertained, go watch. Remember the Titans. If you want to win, then win. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I would rather watch, aggressive football that loses yeah I if you're a listener of- look i we've never done this we have never done this i'm about to do something without t- consulting with you beforehand and it's going to offend somebody if you are that person who would rather watch an aggressive defense and lose than win a game that has a vanilla game plan i will kindly ask you to leave us a one-star review, leave a comment that says, you guys are wrong. Aggressive losing defense is better than conservative winning defense. And then never listen in again. Look, we're not getting paid. This isn't our livelihood. So I feel like we can we can expect a higher level of listener. And if you're the listener who would rather watch losing football because of blitzes, I don't, I don't think that this is the show for you. I think that's it. If you love Broncos defense that much that you want to watch teams lose, but blitz every play or which isn't every play, you think it's every play, then go watch Virginia. You can do that. Yeah. 
no harm, no foul. Just I'll, wash I'll your even hands. send you. I'll send you a Cav shirt. I will. I will pay to get you to a Virginia defense. That team just lost to Wake Forest. I'm pretty sure you're not going to be thrilled when you get to a three score loss to Wake Forest, which Wake hey, Forest is the Utah State of the ACC. Are they that? I don't even know if they're that. I think they almost lost to Utah State last year, didn't they? They did. So, but they are they like equivalent? I mean, they're higher than Utah. Uh, yeah, State, I mean, they're 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 like New Mexico is well, who they are. They it's like well in because I mean, there's a ton of teams in North Carolina, right? Like you have NC State. You have like the same way you have BYU and Utah fairly close to each other. You have Duke, UNC, and NC State all in the triangle. And then Wake is like an hour and a half, two hours away, similar to Utah State. It's in a little town. It's an okay school. And they play in like a 20, their stadium is like 31,000 people. It's the smallest, I think it's the smallest P5 stadium. Okay. Yeah. You got so it. Utah State sounds accurate. Yeah. It's like the, the Utah State of. Yeah, and so yeah, it's it is weird how many teams North Carolina has. App State is and so is it, Clemson technically South. Are they South Carolina or North yeah, Carolina? Clemson is South Carolina. So in South Carolina, you have Clemson, USC, and Coastal, and then which the Chanticleers are ranked. They are the second ranked, team. ranked They're Coastal, ranked Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. <laughs> Their teal blue field. I love it. And then in North Carolina, you've got obviously Duke, UNC, NC State, uh, Wake, App State, Charlotte, and ECU. You have seven FBS schools in North Carolina and then a whole slew of FCS schools. I don't know why. I think it's the red jerseys. I don't know what it is. When I think of NC State, I always assume they're like, barely out of like new england like i know that north carolina is in the name but when i hear nc state i think of maryland every time like i think of a up there in like maybe pennsylvania or like northern virginia i don't know why but i don't picture nc state as a southern school i picture them as a rutgers i picture them i, I don't know what it is i can't explain it it makes no sense their name is north carolina but I, I never think of them as North Carolina. If you would have asked me to name all of the teams in North Carolina, I would have come up with East Carolina. I would have come up with App State. I would have come up with Duke and UNC. I would have never come up with North Carolina State because when I think of my mental map of where teams are, North Carolina State is playing in Rhode Island. I don't East know why. Coast, East Coast geography is very strange. Like it's it's a very weird place to be. Um, we did have another listener question, though, going off of the, our defensive talk. I think have we hashed that one out enough? Of <laughs> we yes. BYU does not drop eight, and you do not want to be rushing like if you want to be blitzing seven people every play and only leaving four guys to cover five wide receivers, then go watch there's, some other sport. There's um, places, yeah. But someone else asked this. I know we've kind of talked about a little bit of you know like with the offense playing the way it is. Someone's going to try to pick off Jeff Grimes. Will Jeff Grimes leave? I don't think Jeff Grimes, based on this season, will get a high-end P5 job. Like He's not going to get like an Auburn offensive coordinator 
or, you know, type position or like a South Carolina, maybe like, he's not going to get that level of a P five job based on this season. And I don't know that he would leave BYU for like a Texas tech or a Syracuse type OC job. I think he would rather stay where he's at and either wait and try to get one more year and get the big P five OC job or a, I think even more likely than him leaving for a low level P five coordinator gig would be him leaving to a mid tier, like a Colorado state or Fresno state head coach type position. That's exactly what I think where he's going, but someone did bring up will Kalani Satake who midpoint in the season ESPN's bill Connolly has named him the probably rightfully. So the front runner for coach of the year for what he's done and turned it around. Will Kalani Satake have suitors after this season from, you know, a, like a school like a Syracuse. I mean, they're fine. I think they're happy with the coach that they got from Bowling Green. Um, but they, they shouldn't. They suck. But they. I mean, this is kind of his first bad year, though. He was doing really well. I, for Dino Dino Babbers, man. He just rubs me the wrong way. Remember the national championship that first year that Kalani was the head coach and he did the coaches whatever it was on ESPN. I just Dino Babbers was like this Babers. I don't know how to say his name. He was so disrespectful. Like, I know that I sound like an old man when I say this, but like the dude just was talking down to Kalani. He was the one that like asked the stupid questions about missionaries that kind of got Kalani fired up. That was like, look, dude, if if it was going to be, if it was this big advantageous thing, why are you not recruiting missionaries to your program? Why is Nick Saban not recruiting missionaries? He got fired up about it. And so because of that, because of that, I don't know. I didn't watch much of it because I would rather watch the game than the coaches talk about the game. But because of the limited interaction that I saw there, man, I have just the illest feelings towards Dino Babbers, Babers. And it it makes me a little bit happy that Syracuse sucks. I don't think Kalani would go for like, I mean, maybe UCLA fires Chip Kelly and they go there. Like, I don't think he's going to go back to Corvallis, Oregon and take over the Oregon state job. Right. Like, but I think those would be the kind of schools that try to make a run at him. And I don't think it's going to happen. I think, you know, he gets another raise, like there's enough money in Utah to keep him around as long as boosters are happy. And I think he is okay being a lifer at BYU. What I would like to see, and I think there are some assistants on the staff. Okay. With it is see more of like the AJ stewards that go off, but get some of the BYU guys on the staff away from BYU for a bit like i'd like to see preston hadley get hired by ucla or hired by baylor or tcu or a program like that where he can go away from byu kind of prove himself off need to be complete separation from the whittingham bronco neomatololo coaching trees get experience elsewhere and then come back (laughs) as a defensive coordinator and i think i could see preston hadley is kind of being a guy who would be happy coming, you know, in five years being made the defensive coordinator, like, you know, being a lifer at BYU and being the head coach 15 years down the road. Like, I think that is, I could see him being that guy. And, but we just need to get some like new blood infused from this coaching tree off the side. And it's, it's kind of my frustrating thing with the Virginia staff is like, dude, like Kelly Papinga, go get another job. Jason Beck, go get another job. Go spread your wings and fly and then come back to BYU and be like, you know, like some of the best things that have happened 
to the offensive line, other than Jeff Grimes being an extremely good offensive line coach, is like he brought a lot of non-BYU experience. And same with when we had Ryan Pugh, we had Eric Mateos, and we brought in A.J. Stewart from Rice. It was like having fresh blood from off of the coaching tree was very good to like infuse new ideas and different opinions and different ways of working. And if I would love for assistance, and this takes a lot and puts a lot of pressure on Kalani to identify good, young, talented coaches, but like, let BYU be a stepping stone and you have to be okay and embrace, unless you're going to open up the pocketbook, you have to embrace the stepping stone mentality of, yeah, BYU is not going to pay you as much as Washington state or Oregon state does, but you're going to come here, you're going to get exposure and people in the industry are going to understand that you have to deal with the honor code and have to work with a lot of constraints. And when you win, you're going to get that huge offer. Like people are going to come after you and it can be your stepping stone. And it still means a lot to win at BYU. And so, um, yeah, I agree with that. And, and that's, it doesn't have to be like this premier you know, you got to go to Auburn or Alabama and bring that experience back. One of the most valuable coaches on the staff this year, or this year and the last couple of years has been Fessy and no Fessy. I mean, yes, it was Jay Hill right up there at Weber, but Fessy, he, he brought Weber state experience. Like it was a, but it was a different way. It was a different coaching tree. He had a different, you know, getting to Weber state than others have. And that's a big deal. Like, and that's what I think BYU has lacked. And I'm with you on the Virginia coaching staff. Like, I, 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 I don't get it. I leave. I, I don't understand. Like, credit to you, Vic Soto, for going and, you know, got you what you needed out of Virginia. You've got a great recommendation. You've got some relationships and some network there. Or, and then you go to, then you go to USC and you're going to get more experience. I think that's great. I think that's what should happen. Yes. My answer to the question, will Kalani have suitors? Yes, is the answer. Um, well, I know the schedules. Seriously. I, and I don't know. Maybe he will, right? I, I really don't know. I don't think so, but I don't know. Um, but here's the thing is outside of Provo and really outside of Utah, the state of Utah, people recognize how hard it is to win at BYU. Independence isn't easy. Recruiting with an honor code is not easy. Like it's hard. And so if you can do that, that will give you a, a huge lift in the eyes of people at other programs. And so, yes, he went four and nine in 2017. But if I'm the athletic director of Cal and I'm looking and, and Cal has Justin Wilcox, they're fine. They're not going to look for a head coach. But if I'm the AD at Cal, and I'm looking for, okay, I need somebody who can come in and, and win at my program. I'm looking at Kalani and saying, yeah, he sucked in 2017. That was awful. But, he but, look, at, but look at what he was able to do, and he has way more restrictions than I'm going to give him. And he did it there. Now, what I don't think people outside of BYU and the outside of the state of Utah realize is how many people want to come to BYU just because it's BYU. It is a dream school for a certain type of player. Nobody dreams of playing at Fresno State. I think so, it's. I think the honor code is is definitely a ceiling, but it's also just as much, maybe more so, of a floor than it is a ceiling. Like, dude, I I, think it I is have heavy of three star guys coming through the door that you don't have to even try for. Because- I have said for the longest time, and nobody believes me, right? I hear people say that as long as the honor code is in place, BYU is going to be limited in their recruiting pool. 
Well, that's assuming that people want to come to Provo, Utah. I got news for you, folks. They don't. Like athletes are still not going to want to come to Provo, Utah if there are P5 options on the table. Like it's not because of the honor code that they're not coming. Yes, maybe BYU loses one occasionally to like San Diego State, but for the most part, they're not coming. They're not not coming to BYU because of the honor code. They're, they're coming because of a myriad of other things. If BYU did not have the honor code, and I will fight anybody who disagrees with me, they are Utah State. Without the honor code, without the church backing, BYU is Utah State. Yes, I know the history, blah, 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 but they have the honor code throughout all of that. If the honor code never existed, they are Utah State. Right. That's who they are. They need it is a bigger, a much bigger floor of just drawing. Like there's guys. There is no reason that Fred Warner. There's no reason. Yeah, like Fred Warner or Jacob Conover, perfect example. He had an offer from Alabama. There is no reason on God's green earth for him to even frankly consider BYU without the like without that being the church's school. Logan Fano released his top four today. There's no reason that he would be in the conversation with Utah, with Oklahoma and Washington and Utah, three P5 schools, and little old BYU if it was not the church's school. And the honor code is a much bigger floor than it is a ceiling. Like, I mean, yes, there are some guys, but it's like, it's fringe, like the bigger deal. And there are so many players out there. If you go find them, you can find three-star guys who are diamonds in the rough, who are like the George Udo types where it's, they're a great athlete. Don't have a lot of big other offers and say, look, are you willing to come do this? There will be guys willing to do it. Fun story kind of tying in some of the things that we've talked about today. Do you know who was one of the, (laughs) one of the premier, not premier, one of the most important coaches at BYU in getting miles Davis to BYU? It was uh, Isaac Wood. Really? Because he not as the Cougar Club guy, as, as the, track. the track guy. Yeah. Luke Andrada, also another one. It's kind of cool. Um, I, I know that we, Logan Fano did release his top four. That's a big deal. And BYU is in it. And I, look, I, right now, my crystal ball, um, my crystal ball says Utah, right? My, on 24 7. Uh, I, I have him predicted to Utah. There's a lot of buzz about him going to Utah. Um, and I, I, I think that that is fair. But I think that BYU is being discounted um, because they're BYU. I, I, I've talked to a lot of different people about Logan Fano here in the last few weeks. And while I'm not super well i'm not i guess ready to change my official prediction i am more confident that byu is in the mix than i was six months ago i think byu is very much in the mix and i i know that there's some cougar board rumors floating around because anytime something pops up about recruiting on cougar board i get inundated with direct messages asking me if it's true I have no idea, right? I have no idea if the post about somebody's uncle or something or other is true. No clue. But I will say that I have talked to my tried and true sources long before anything popped up on Cougar Board uh, here in the last few weeks. And I think that BYU is very, very much in the mix. 
That's all I can say. That's all I know. And if I continue to hear that same kind of buzz for the next few weeks, I I think I might say that he will. He's he's BYU is maybe the front runner. I'm not quite there yet because I've heard so much buzz about Utah, but right now I'm not hearing the same buzz about Utah, and I am hearing buzz about BYU. Recruiting's recruiting's fickle, man. It changes. It's just whoever has the most momentum at the end usually secures the bag, and that's what we get. And so. I mean, that's something to follow. And I think just obviously it's the season and it's similar with Jackson Dart. And, you know, he's not completely, even though he has a USC offer now, he's still talking to Zach Wilson. They are friends. He's still talking to the BYU staff and very much plugged into what's going on in Provo. And it's because this season is helping guys be like, hey, you know, Kalani has it figured out. They are running a fun offense. I want to do that. And I can go be a good player there. Um, Speaking of Zach Wilson, we have talked about this the last few weeks on the show, basically since the Louisiana Tech game, and it continues to blow up of in terms of Zach Wilson and his NFL prospects. You, We talked about it last week and kind of hopped through going through different payouts based on which number of quarterback you were taking off the board. You dug deeper into that and put posted an article on CougarSportsInsider.com. But really, I mean, it is looking now to where Zach Wilson – it's a very strong likelihood that he could continue to play his way into being a first round pick. And if he is going in projected to go into the first round, he is going to leave and he will not be back in Provo and Baylor, Romney, Jaron Hall and Jacob Conover will duke it out to be the starter next year. So I did some digging. I've done some dig. I haven't even told you this yet. This is, this is, this isn't breaking news, but this is the rumor mill in real time. Uh, I don't think Zach goes unless he has a first round guarantee. You think second round, he feels I can play my way in. Give me more tape. He will go get a big insurance policy that will cover him for, in the case of an injury, he'll get insured for like four or $5 million. Should an injury prevent him getting drafted lower than the third round? Correct. He'll come back. Yeah. And I talk about this. We talked about it on the show last week. I, I talk about it in, in a lot of detail in this article. The difference between a first round pick and a second round pick, even a late first round pick and a second round pick, you're talking five, six million bucks. Um, here's the numbers. So on average, the third quarterback taken off the board over the last 10 years was picked at number 26 and a half on average. That person over the course of the last 10 years, QB3 has, uh, what do I, what, how do I phrase this, has secured a contract with a value of $12.3 million. That includes their base salary and their signing bonus. That third quarterback taken off the board over the last 10 years has an average contract that is worth $12.3 million. The fourth quarterback taken off the board slips into early round two. That person's contract over the last 10 years is 7.6 million bucks. You're talking four and a half million dollars as the difference from being late first round to early second round. And when you four get to five, bucks. when you get to five, it's going to be like third and a half, middle of the third round. And it's probably yep. going to be a base it's, contract, it's $3 million, which is a base rookie contract. So the 10 year average of that fifth quarterback is pick number 73. So that's what, the 10th pick in the third round. Yeah. 
and the contract value is four and a half million bucks. So the difference between QB five and QB 10 is $2 million in contract, but 140 picks. The difference between QB five and QB three is $7 million and only 35 picks. I don't think Zach goes unless he has a first round guarantee and he could get one. There's a lot of really good teams who are missing a quarterback. The bears are awful at the quarterback position, but they're five and one. The Steelers, big Ben is getting real old. The Buccaneers, Tom Brady can't play forever. Right. There's a lot of good teams that I think the Packers not happy with their last first round quarterback. (laughs) I I think there's a lot of teams that are going to be in that back end of the first round that will be looking for that quarterback that maybe, maybe it's the bears and they plug them in. Maybe it's the saints and they plug them in. Um, But I think that there is going to be a lot of those quarterbacks that want, or a lot of those teams that need a quarterback from pick 20 to 32. So I think the opportunity is there, but I, that's, That's what I think is that unless he has a first round guarantee, he does not go. The other thing, the rumor mill and the rumor mill in real time, the real rumor mill. That's hard. I feel like we could make some alliteration there. The real rumor mill. If Wilson goes my money, I don't think he's the betting favorite today, but I would take the odds and I think he would be the betting favorite come August. Jacob Conover starts on game one ahead of Jaron Hall and ahead of Baylor Romney. I have not heard anything negative about Baylor Romney. Jaron's hurt. Obviously we know I have not heard anything negative about Baylor Romney. I've heard, in fact, I've heard nothing but good things. I have heard great things about what Jacob Conover is doing on the scout team to the first team defense. And that's kind of what Max Hall, right? Max Hall came in. He ran the scout team for a year. People were like, this dude is legit. Then he came out and he was the guy the next year. And that's what I heard when I, I I did some digging, talking, you know, Jackson Dart, talking to people around Jackson about where BYU sits. And he basically what I was told is that BYU loves Jackson. They want Jackson bad. Jackson would come in and in my opinion, he would be the starter because he's so much like Zach. I, I love Jackson Dart. But what I was told is that Jackson Dart knows who's in the quarterback room and he knows that he may not get that starting time and the freshman or the, the person who would beat him out is a freshman. I have heard just rave reviews about Jacob Conover as right now he's a walk-on on the scout team. And well, that's what I was told is with the scout team tearing up the first team defense in, in practice. That's huge. It is huge. And I mean, I think we are very set for the next few years in, you know, pending injury, you know, keeping everyone healthy. Um, we're set for the next few years and things are looking good. Um, and yeah, I agree with you. I don't think Wilson goes unless he gets that first round grade because you don't want to risk it. Cause even if you get the first round grade, you may end up like Geno Smith who was at the draft in New York city, but then slid to the second round. Right. And so it's, he knows like, okay, if you get the first round grade, you're probably going to go within the first 45 picks. And even with that slide, you'll be okay. But if it's a third round grade, he ain't leaving, right? He's going to come back and try to play himself up. Um, last thing kind of we have on our agenda is we've kind of talked about, and you know, people keep the national buzz is like, oh, but who has BYU played? Who is their schedule? So I went through and I looked at the S&P plus 
of the average schedule all the way back to 1970 and the where we were at. And then I kind of flipped it since um, from 2001. So basically post Lavelle, where does it stand? So this is not the worst schedule that we have faced in a post Lavelle era. It is out of the 21 seasons, it is number 18. So there are three worse. It was 2001 was worse than 2020. 2000, uh, what was the next one? 2011 was worse than 2001. And the worst schedule that we have faced is 2008. 2008 out of since the 51 seasons since 1970 is 48th out of 51 in terms of ease of schedule, which was surprising to me, but that was a really bad year for the Mountain West and like who we played outside of it. And is like, that was the year with the playing an 0 and 12 Washington team. And it was just our out of conference schedule did not lift us up at all that year. But the schedule in terms of, you know, BYU schedules, really it's, you know, it's number 39 out of 51 since 1970. It's obviously not good. It's not terrible, but it's, you know, you're kind of clumped up. There's a lot of clumping in the middle around, you know, you have the high end and then like the low end and it's kind of clumped around there. The biggest thing that I noticed is, so if you look at do, um, so the two hardest schedules were both Gary Croton years of 2003 and 2004, where 2003, the average S&P score of the opponents was an 8.8. 2004 was an 8.4. The next high, toughest schedule were 91 and 92 at 4.9. Like those two years that we were did not have good records, a lot of it was because of the schedule. And I don't know. I mean, that's obviously things go a different way. Like if Gary Croton, obviously the off the field issues had worked their self out and, you know, he's there with Bronco to clean up the defense. And I think probably 2005, 2006, like the rest of the two thousands up until the independence era turns, I don't know how different that ends up with if Croton doesn't get fired and Bronco, like that's a hot take. Like, I don't know. Like, cause I mean, it's the schedules weren't incredibly tough. All of we, you know, the talent, was that ran through that most of that talent came in under that NFL talent that we had came in under Croton, right. Especially on the 2016, that was all the upperclassmen that Croton recruited right after he got there. So That's I a hot take. I don't know. I if, like it. I mean, I'm not saying I think it is, but I think it's debatable. I don't think it's so cut and dry that like Bronco I'm, resurrected everything. Right. I'm like looking I, at that, that 2008 schedule that that's fucked. Yeah. Like, so, you see, that was the 59 to zero UCLA game. 59 to zero UCLA, 40. Uh, that then the next was week, that the year Washington went 0 and 12. No, yeah, so what 59 Holy to zero crap, it is, and we barely squeak, squeaked out a win against them. so we'd be an FCS team, be winless Washington, UCLA 59 to zero, Wyoming 44 to zero, Utah State is Utah State, that New Mexico. The big that was loss the on that guy, season. Utah State. Like, yeah, you know, they were they were bad. Losing in Fort Worth, bad to TCU. That one hurt. We were number twenty. They were twenty four. We were like up to number seven, and then got stomped. And then they ended up finishing like sixth or seventh. UNLV was bad. We barely beat them. Colorado State was bad. I remember that game. Dennis Pitta scored with a couple minutes left, and we won 45-42. Stomped San Diego State at home. That was a good win. Beat Air Force at home, and then obviously lost to a top 10 Utah on the road. 
Um, um, one other thing, real quick. <laughs> I'm looking at Wikipedia, this 2008 schedule, and they've got the TV channels listed. Let me just go through this. I'm not even going to say the names because it doesn't matter. I just want to say the TV channels that the game was aired on. The Mountain Fox Sports Network versus The Mountain BYU TV. The Mountain versus The Mountain. The Mountain. The Mountain. CBS College Sports. The Mountain slash CBS College Sports. ESPN. Dude. The bowl game was on ESPN. None of the rest of those were on even a primary network. Did I don't even, does versus even exist anymore? No, they got warped into NBC Sports. Is that well? Who? It it started as they they got bought out by oh Root. Oh. What it was, it became Root Sports, and then AT and T bought them out, and then I don't know who they so, are. So well, Root Sports is the that was the Fox Sports regional thing. Like is yeah. root, and then now it's like AT and T Sports. That's the regional sports network. Like versus was a national thing, so versus was a national because we got it in California. So I'm actually looking now. So versus is was bought out by NBC, um, and then in 2011, Comcast sold versus to NBC, and that's what became NBC Sports Network. Okay, okay. so according right, to well. media, but it's yeah, it's obscure places that you had to dig to go find BYU games last back in those days. I know that we're, we're getting close to wrapping up. Eric Mateos just tweeted or retweeted a tweet. Um, BYU right guard Chandon Herring from 2017 to 2020. He has had 632 pass blocks. He has allowed zero sacks. Hell yeah. Chandon Herring. Now here is my question for you. If Chandon Herring gets drafted. Does he sign the contract? Because his dad did not. I don't, that's not his dad. Is it like an uncle? Yeah. His Chandon Herring is from Arizona. I thought that Eli Herring was Eli Herring is a seminary teacher at Mountain View high school in Orm. Well now, but I think he was originally from Arizona. Yeah. No, like he, so there's Chandon gotta Herring, be a connection. Chandon Herring graduated from a high school in Arizona and grew up so in Gilbert. So then tell me this, why I've just assumed that it's his dad, because how on earth are there that many Herrings? It's not a common name. Probably his that look like That look like freaking Vikings that are just massive human beings. You know, I will text. I have a friend who was Chandon Herring's EFY counselor when, <laughs> at, 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 get this, at NAU. And while he was there, Chandon Herring went on an unofficial visit to NAU while he was at EFY in Flagstaff. This is the weirdest connection I've ever heard. But this is if this doesn't epitomize members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you are going to reach out to your source who was an EFY counselor at a regional college in Arizona. Yep. Well done. Well done. Yeah, so I don't know who... I'm sure he is related to Eli Herring, but yeah, that is not, um, he is not the, well, okay then. Then I take it back. I, here I am thinking that I have this zinger of a question that's really going to stump you. And lo and behold, it's not even applicable. The, I think he would take it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you'd be dumb not to, but yeah, Eli Herring did not. So, and he was drafted. He even after telling all of the all of the teams that he was not going to go pro, 
he was still drafted in like the third or fourth round. And uh, yeah, anyway, did not. He went, he went in the fifth, ended up, but the, yes. Yeah, so sorry to pop that bubble that he is not Eli Herring's yeah, son. That is a bummer. Um, but we do have to close out our show. We do have our picks. We'll start out with the, te- I know this is our Texas state preview. We haven't talked much about Texas state. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Texas state for just a minute. I mean, you gave me a beautiful breakdown of Utah state in uh, a chat. I would like you to just oh, break oh, down Texas, Texas state, break down Texas state for me. So they are air raid and they're not that good. Like they are one in five currently offensively. Jake Spavadol was the, like Jake Spavadol coached Johnny Manziel at AM. and He, you know, with Cliff Kingsbury, he was on the staff there. He was on Daniel Holgerson's staff. It was Virginia. He is off of the air raid tree offensively. They're not going to do anything different than what we saw last week from Houston. They just won't be as good at it. And defensively, they're going to run similar things to what we saw really seen all season. Um, you know, most of the team, like teams running, they're running like that four, two, five with that hybrid safety outside backer. That's pretty much what everybody in the country is running right now. It's nothing fancy and they don't really, I mean, it's, they have some concerns at quarterback and they've had a shuffling door. Um, it's BYU's going to should win big. And I think Jake Spavadol is a promising young coach. I think it's, this team is probably better than the one in five that they are because they've lost a lot of close games, but they are not, I mean, they're not going to blow anybody away. Like they don't have a clear set running back. They've got one guy with 333 yards, another guy with 281. They don't have a, like a beast receiver. They've got guys at 275, 225, 220, and then get into the hundreds. Like it's, they just kind of have a lot of guys who are okay, but there's not a star that you need to worry about. Like we talked about, with some of the skill players that we saw with Houston last week. Okay. That's it. I mean, and they have, they've had two quarterbacks play most of it. It's like Tyler Vitt and Brady McBride. I'm not sure who's getting the start, but it's like McBride has 800 yards of passing. Vitt has 600 yards of passing. So it's like they, it's a lot of shuffling around and they haven't been able to put it all together. And I expect BYU to win big. The line opened at 30 It's currently down to 28 and a half. I wouldn't touch 28 and a half, but if it keeps going down and drops under 28, I would probably take BYU to cover. Look, I am overlooking Texas State. I'm a guy who runs a website. We talk on a podcast. If I overlook a team, it doesn't matter at all. I am overlooking Texas State. I have not invested hardly any time. I mean, I have a couple of hours, but compared to the amount of like film, and research that I'll do on a normal opponent. I have done virtually nothing on Texas state because uh, this is the ultimate Bronco Mendenhall game. Uh, If BYU executes and they do what BYU needs to do, it doesn't matter what Texas state is going to do. This game will not be close. I will take BYU at 28 and a half. I would take BYU at 35 Texas state makes UTSA look like Clemson so that's all I need to know I mean you say that but they did go to overtime when they played and UTSA only beat them by a touchdown we just lost your sound everybody knows the first week is a fluke fair enough that was their second game they lost to SMU in their first game that was not UTSA's first game or first second true True. So UTSA 
would have been better. If UTSA plays them in week two, UTSA wins by 25. I will allow it. The, I think it's, yeah, I think, I mean, 28 and a half, I think BYU still probably covers and goes running away with it. It's the worst team that we have played so far. Yeah. Uh, Other games that we have. Well, hold on. We got to, we got to, we actually kept track last week. Oh, yes. You got the betting games. Uh, You took ECU. I took East Carolina, or I, I took Navy. I won. Okay. I took Wake. You took Wake. We both won. Okay. Over Virginia. Um, you took South Alabama. I took Texas State. South Alabama won by ten. Uh, you took A and I took Mississippi State. You Cincinnati got postponed. I won uh, Georgia Bama. I took Bama. You took Georgia. We both covered with BYU. So on the week. Four and four. Uh, we both went four and four. Yeah. But we are two for two and we both agree. So if you're tailing us, get the games we both agree on. Um, so what you said, you think BYU is going to cover at 28 and a half. I wouldn't put money on it. I would abstain from it, but I'm going to go ahead and say BYU as well. Notre Dame, 10 and a half point favorite at Pitt. I am taking pit because notre dame looked horrible last week and they are not the third best team in the country they are not the third best team in the country but they are better than 12 to 7 over louisville and i think they're going to prove it this week on the road they win by 14 i'm taking notre dame okay the alabama minus 21 at tennessee uh tide is gonna roll like that's yeah tennessee's a hot mess a hot mess i don't they started out People thought they were good and they are just so bad. And the Alabama offense is playing as well as the LSU offense did last year, which is terrifying. So if you don't know, like I, I don't expect people to follow Tennessee. Henry Toto, their linebacker, who is coincidentally a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, went to De La Salle High School in Northern California and somehow found his way to Tennessee. Uh, go figure. He is tweeting or not tweeting he is going to instagram and posting these weird messages of pictures of the backup quarterback with the fingers crossed emoji on his instagram story like that's not a lot that's not a lot of faith in what you got jared garantano look you've lost your star linebacker so not a lot of faith bama rolls okay um virginia 12 point favorite at miami 12-point dog at Miami. Sorry, 12-point dog at Miami. I'm taking the Hurricanes. I don't – I just have not seen anything from the Cavaliers this season that makes me think that offensively they're going to score points or that defensively they're going to be able to contain Derek King, who is the type of quarterback that shreds Bronco Mendenhall. Yep, couldn't have said it better myself. Houston, 14-point favorite at Navy. Uh, I like Houston in this one. I do too. I, I, think, I think Houston's a really good team. I think they can make some noise in the American. I think they bounce back from last week and kind of have a chip on their shoulder of, Hey guys, we let that one get away. And they have Navy. Who's frankly not a very good team and can. Go oh, and in. I, what I like about Houston so much this year is you expect their offense to be what their offense is their defensive line, man. That was a big athletic and aggressive defensive line that kind of bullied BYU's offensive line a little bit. And I know enough about BYU's offensive line to know that they don't get bullied by very many people. And so I think Houston has a defense and I think they're going to make noise in the American this year. Okay. I agree with you. And they could be a potentially a favorite. I know Memphis has lost some people coming out of the 
coming out of the West. And I think Houston could possibly even push Memphis to win the the American West. I hope um, they do. Utah State is a 16 and a half point dog at Boise. Welcome back, Mountain West Conference football. I'm glad to have something else to watch uh, late night. Uh, I don't know enough about Boise this year. I don't know enough about Utah State. Jason Shelley is going to be their quarterback. Devontae Henry Cole, we didn't talk about this, but he is listed as an or as their RB2. So, so he could potentially be RB3. Yeah. So that's a bummer. Um, I think I'd like Boise because it's at Boise, but I don't know a ton about Boise. If Hank Bachmeyer is healthy, then I, I really like Boise. And I know that Jack Sears did not win that job, the UC USC transfer. So I think that Bachmeyer must be healthy enough that they're they're willing to say not Jack Sears. But I really don't know. I don't know a ton about that program this year. So based off of my really kind of my disdain for Gary Anderson, I think I'm going Boise. Yeah. So just looking at what they have coming back, and obviously Boise has Bachmeyer coming back. Um, so Boise State returned 75% of their defense, which is 34th in the country. Offense, they only returned 54%. Uh, but most importantly, they have Bachmeyer back, who didn't play half the season because he was hurt. And they have George Alani back, who's a good running back. Utah State is 98th in the country in returning production. They lost 50, they only bring back 57% of their defense, 51% of their offense. I mean, they, yes, they got Jason Shelley in there, but I'm. They just were so heavy on Jordan Love, and Jason Shelley is not even close to the same type of quarterback. Yep. I think it's going to be the Broncos are going to win big, and we will see. Um, I don't, I just don't see Utah State doing it. I don't think the boys, the Gary Anderson 2.0 experiment is going to work out. And I really don't like Gary Anderson, so I kind of hope it doesn't. Um, Michigan is a three point favorite at Minnesota. This line's interesting. It opened up the other way. Minnesota opened up as one and a half point favorite, and the money has moved towards Michigan. Tanner Morgan is legit, and Minnesota is good, and I think Michigan is a little bit of a mess. They should beat Minnesota, but I like P.J. Fleck with 900 days to prepare for this game. I think P.J. Fleck is a better coach than Jim Harbaugh. I'm going with Minnesota. I think I'm the same. I take Minnesota money line on this. Even I think they will beat Michigan. Yeah, I agree. So, Hey, we've got a lot of games that we agree on. There's your parlay ticket folks. Bama, Miami, Houston, Boise, Minnesota, BYU get rich. Let me go check this out right now and see what we can get on this. What the payout on this parlay would be. Um, did you see, I saw that there was somebody who like that first game of the season, the first week of the season parlayed, oh, I don't remember who, what, there was one parlay that someone had and, uh, Texas tech blowing that game against Texas cost them a $1 parlay that would have paid out like six grand. That (laughs) sucks. Um, but yeah, so we have the games, they're there. Tell them if you want, if you don't, whatever live your life. We got Texas (laughs) state coming on Saturday night. We got the nightcap on the week for college football, big 10 and mountain West are both back this week. And so there's a lot of games to enjoy. And we have the Utah high school playoffs are starting this week. 
as well. So there's a lot of good football going on to enjoy, to consume. If you have Cougar Club ideas, reach out to Isaac Wood, reach out to us. If you want us to do a debate tomorrow night, you can reach out. I'm sure most of you don't want to do that after listening to this. This has been a long episode. It is, but we talked about a lot of good stuff. Like we got real deep into the name. Well, it's like like Zach Wilson going pro, right? Like you're going to hear from everybody about, well, if he gets a second round grade, you probably should do it. You should probably. We gave you the details of the price difference over the last 10 years of what that actually means. Like, I really think that we're going to pat ourselves on the back for a minute here. We are giving you the most detailed and unique insight into BYU athletics that you're going to find anywhere else. You're not getting details about the inner workings of the Cougar Club anywhere, but give them hell, Brigham. And that is a fact. And with that, we will leave you all to enjoy this glorious weekend where the Cougars will roll to being 6-0 and and we pray for some losses so that we can top into the top 10 next week. Let's give them hell, Jeff. Give them hell.